Hello, friends and fans and followers of What on Rob Green's Earth. I still don't have a cute nickname for you, Rob Green's Earthlings, citizens of Rob Green's Earth. I don't know. Kind of sounds obnoxious. The Earth's not mine. It's everybody's, really. Or maybe the Earth is in charge and we all belong to it. I, I don't fucking know. I haven't heard from the Murder Hornets in a while, so that's a plus. And once again, I'm sorry this episode's late. I'm a fairly busy guy. And when I'm not busy, I'm just being lazy. Lazy bastards, what I do. But I'm excited for this episode. I've been doing comedy for a little over four years. There has been one constant throughout the entirety of my comedy career, starting from the very first open mic I've ever went to. There's a comedian that had gone on before me, and I enjoyed his set and had to go tell him that I enjoyed his set. And he had some compliments on mine, and we ended up chatting. While later, we ended up doing shows together, and here we are, like four and a half years later. We're great friends, and we still perform together whenever we get a chance. And I was just over the moon when he had the time to do this podcast with me. Because I've been trying to get him for a while, but you know, he's an in-demand kind of guy, if you know what I mean. I don't even know what I mean by that. As far as I know, he's just been sitting in quarantine hoarding cats. He's a crazy cat person. But that's not going to stop me from introducing you to my fellow comedian, colleague, and good friend, Kevin Johnson. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how's it going, everybody? They, they can't answer you, but we're going to assume they're doing good. Uh, well, you can answer me this. Why don't I get intro music like you do? Because my fucking show. Why? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I mean, as a guest, I feel like I should at least get some introduction music. I guess we can call you a special guest and... Yeah, fuck. Yeah, sure. What do you want? I was called special all through school. So being a special guest plays right into my wheelhouse. So what I think is we should get the Stone Cold Steve Austin music to play, like that glass break. I won't go any further because I don't know if we can afford this. Uh, yeah, licensing is not in the budget. So <laughs> unless you're going to make more weird sounds with your mouth, what do you got in mind? <laughs> so we'll nix the Stone Cold thing. We'll nix the Stone Cold thing. Uh, well, do I have a suggestion for you, Robert, my friend? Oh, tell me. A little ditty by some pals of mine, The Bomb Solid. This one is called Beat It Till It Bleeds. That's how you know it's good. For a name like that, I'm going to give you some intro music. Beautiful. Thanks, Eli. Thanks, Mike. Love you guys. All right, guys. Um, the bomb solid. Be it till it bleeds. Be it till it bleeds, then beat it for bleeding. There, you had music. Are you happy now? You know what? I honestly do feel a lot better. Well, so, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Eli and Mike. And thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, Kevin is an old and dear friend of mine that I met through comedy. Uh, we've known each other now, what, four years, I think it is? Um, I thought it was five, but the video I sent you the other day was apparently from four years ago. And I think what I'm doing is that thing when, like, a baby's born... And they're like, yeah, the baby's one. And it's like, no, nah, man, that baby's like new. <laughs> More so people that don't understand how to count their own age. Because we're like, I was born this year, so I was one. And then I was like, no, nah, man, like you were zero for a bit. 
you know, people say people are like, my baby's like 84 months old. Like how, how many years is that though? I'm not good at math. So I can't call them out, but I, I know enough about math to know that they should convert that to years at some point. There's definitely a few in there. The only reasonable explanation, if you were leap year baby and you were like, I'm five or four, I don't, I don't know how leap year works. I think they just celebrate on the 28th of February or the 1st of March, depending on which one's closer to the weekend. Do what I think we should do. I have no we idea. We should start saving up, like, the days in leap year. And then, like, after, like, however long you get, like, a couple days off, you get, like, a leap week. That's and, like damn genius. It's like a week you don't have to do shit. I know people now are probably hearing this and being like, well, I wasn't allowed to leave my house for the last month. It was terrible. But, like, I'm talking about you're allowed to leave your house. Everybody is. Everybody having fun. Leap week. Like, real life sucked. And when we go back to that, it's not just going to be awesome again. It's going to be sweet for, like, a week. And then it's just, just going to suck again. I saw someone post something on Facebook recently that was like, I can't wait until I'm back at my minimum wage job wishing I could be home. That you're like, can't wait till I can get verbally abused with people that don't want to be there either. And this is how Kevin's mind works, and this is why we're such great friends. And I've worked in retail, literally, uh, no, I said li- figuratively, because I'm a year off, but uh, half of my life. I started working in retail when I was 16 years old, and I'm 29 now. And I just stopped because um, the global bastard, as it were. Oh, I do a retail job throughout the day and it changes your perspective on things i think everybody should have to work a retail job at least once in their life either that or fast food honestly both because they're very similar beasts but it's a different level of anger <laughs> because the anger that people have about fast food there's depending on the reaction at least a slight part of it that's justifiable if you buy into the fact that Snickers fixes your hunger and you're hangry or whatever, if you don't eat a Snickers. But it's a little thing of like hypoglycemic rage. If you're hungry and someone fucks up your food, yeah, you're going to be bummed because you expected this food. Yeah. Which I also don't agree with because also your decision was, I want food in 14 seconds or else I'm going to say something deplorable and I'm going to get fired from my job because someone's going to put this video on YouTube. <laughs> like, how bad do you want a junior bacon? Like, <laughs> chill the fuck out, dude. I found, too, like, working retail, if you work it, you're a lot more considerate about things. Like, nothing makes me work rage more than someone showing up literally two minutes before we're getting ready to close, and I'm super stoked to get out of there. Do you know what my go-to was? What's that? My go-to was, and I don't work for anyone right now, so I'm cool saying that. <laughs> if someone came in with the last 10 minutes, if someone was polite, I would help them till hours after. And I have before because it's all about how you treat people. But mm-hmm. if someone came in rude thinking they were entitled to come in and like ruin my store with like two minutes left in my day, I would just be like, hey man, my cash registers are on like a timer and they're already locked down. Like I can't sell you anything. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I'd be like, I can hold your stuff. Which, because, like, I don't want my store not to make a sale, but I also don't want to deal with a dickhead. And, like, I'm not working the next day. <laughs> like, and if I am, like, I'll defer you to someone else, because I already know who you are. You suck. Be nice to people in retail, because if you think someone's being mean to you in retail, odds are you are a piece of shit and you are mean first. Yeah. <laughs> no one in retail just sucks. <laughs> no, not usually. I, um, yeah, I got home the other night. And I realized I was supposed to stop at a store on the way home and grab a couple things. And I completely forgot just because I was so eager to get out. And then I looked at the clock. And in my head, for a second, I thought, if I hurry, 
I can catch them just before they close. And then I thought, I should go fuck myself. Yep. I firmly have. It's funny you say that because I have a rule. I won't go into a store if it's closing within the next half an hour. The only store I will do that, I won't lie. I'll go to the liquor store for like 15 minutes. (laughs) Pre-pandemic, I did. Because you can go in and out. Because like, I'm not a browser at the liquor store. I know what I want. What's the opposite of a browser? An alcoholic? Is that what that is? (laughs) That depends on where you shop. In your case, uh, yeah. Well, it depends on where you live. And in my case, yes, Pictou County. Statistically. (laughs) (laughs) I can't say too much. Uh, Every one of my episodes, I think, has turned into some kind of, at one point, conversation about how I have to have a few drinks before I go on stage or before I can function normally or whatever. What was the drunkest you've ever been on stage? I'm going to make your podcast awkward now. Oh, the drunkest I've ever been on stage? Ooh, that's a tough one. It could it could have been the last one we did at The Furnace. Shout out to uh, Tim. I love you, Tim. You, you were... <laughs> We might. Um, we were we were doing the show. It was me, you, and Russ Matthews. Also, show to Russ Matthews, who's fucking hilarious, by the way. Beautiful orange bastard. And what happened was there's a guy like he had to get dental surgery or something. You know what happened to the guy more so that was supposed to come down as well. Oh yeah, that was a friend of mine that uh, had to get emergency dental surgery. Yeah. Um, so- shout out. Uh, wait, we're gonna shout him out. Shout out Jordan. I can vouch he did. I'm just playing Jordan. <laughs> shout out Jordan. He uh, gave me a free television earlier today. Oh fuck yeah! Shout out to Jordan. We're, we're not we're not trashing you. Emergency dental surgery is a thing, so we're not trashing you. But we ended up having to kind of go a little bit longer to fill the time, and I don't know what happened, but I just lost count of how many beverages I was having. And you were trying to see how much time you had on stage. You singled me. You're a problem, man. You were like, "It's my hometown. I'm a clean up." You were all like, not even cocky, but that's legit what you do. Shout out to anyone that doesn't know how shitty local comedy works, but the shitty local comedian versus the shitty local comedian that traveled like two hours, the one that's the most local closes because out of the nine people in the crowd, three to four of them are like the local guy's friend. <laughs> you don't want someone watching your set because you went on early in your in your own stomping grounds and then saying, oh, well, I've got an early morning and this is bad enough, so I'm just going to go. Like You want to make them suffer through everybody. Also, proper etiquette, just because you said that. If anyone's getting into comedy, stay till the end of the show, please. Absolutely. Just stay. Even if you have an early night, people ask you to be somewhere. They reached out to you. Stay till the end of the show. Not even just fans, especially if you're paying for something. If you don't agree with what they're saying, feel free to leave. That's okay. But I mean, as a performer, if you're performing with someone and they reached out to you, stay until the end of the show, unless you have a moral objection to anything happening. In which case, that's fine. But be polite to each other, man. This person reached out to you. They didn't have to. Or emergency dental surgery. If you got to go for that, that's also acceptable. Well, that remains to be seen until he responds. But yeah, you kept asking me for time. You were singing for time and I just was oblivious. And then you asked me, hey, Rob, how am I doing for time? And I told you that whatever the actual time was. And I know this because you told me and I'm very fuzzy about that happening. But you and Russ both let me know. And then I think you said something like, okay, Rob's really drunk and good luck. He's on next. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, I've had people tell me I did well, but I don't remember how well I did that night. You did fucking awesome, man. It's funny. Um, depending on how you edit this podcast, we'll talk about the first time we met. 
at an open mic. Uh, one of my friends that was at that show was at that first open mic. And it was one of the first times they've seen you since then. They saw you, I think, at one of the fundraisers, and then they saw you there. And um, on their way back, they were like, hey, man, your friend Rob is really funny. He's really, like, come a long way in his comedy. Like, I really enjoyed his set, which is awesome because, like, like I said, the whole premise that we pitched each other for this episode is the fact that we sucked at comedy when we started. So, like, her being like, hey, like, you guys have come a long way. That was really nice to hear. Thank you, Amanda, for saying that nice thing about Robin. Thanks, Amanda. (laughs) I think one of the good things about us doing it together for as long as we have, I mean, it's not a super long time, I think, compared to a whole career, but like four years. I've gone up and done my thing and I've sat down and you'll point things out to me that I've started doing that were working that I haven't tried because I'll just try new things. And I started just kind of changing up my delivery on things. And you said to me, like, hey, you're really starting to develop a style here. And that made me not only think about what I'm saying, but how I should say it, not just like phrasing and whatnot, but timing, how I'm raising my voice or when to be a bit quieter, more subdued in my delivery. So that's something where I think like, and even our last few shows, like I feel like you leveled up. I really appreciate that, man. Well, and that's it. Like you mentioned, when you did your first show, that was also my first open mic. Like yours was mine. I did a show about a week or so prior at an art festival. And I did it outside in front of a group of strangers. I did do I did two stand-up sets that night. And the first one was a little awkward, but it was fun. But it was early in the night. So the reason it was awkward, because if anyone's heard my comedy since, I got different jokes, but it's still very much in the same style. So if you're with your children at like 7.30 at night at an art festival, anyone that's heard me doesn't want to hear that with their family. With that being said, I did another set at about... 10:30, and it was just adults and it went great and I think that's the clip that Rob has actually Rob has a clip of me for my I thought it was my first stand-up set but I think it's my second but yeah. honestly it could be the first I don't know it's awkward but <laughs> I think our whole premise is that we've improved a bit we're still not great but <laughs> I might actually throw that up in the old gram for the show as a promotion do you mind if I throw that up for people to enjoy absolutely man I would love it if you did anyone that's listening to this now that didn't check it out Check out Rob's Instagram. Unless it's in a story, it's gone now. No, it'll, it, it's going up there. It's going to be permanent. I was going to say, harass Rob aggressively if it's just in a story. <laughs> yeah. We, um, yeah, we've had some ups and downs doing shows. I mean, we, uh, we were the second to last act in the bar. We always joke that we were the ones that put them out of business. I would like to think that we put them out of business, but the show the next night was already booked. And then yeah. when they saw what happened with us, no one else came back the next day. That's a conspiracy theory of mine. Yeah. And that's solely based on the fact that I think that's funny. Actually, though, I got to say, I thought that show was really well done. Like, I thought, I thought well, I thought we performed well. There was some, uh, there were some outliers in that show and some factors that got switched up on us that we couldn't right. control, and it almost went off the rails. So... Let's take a moment to discuss the audience of that show, Rob. Yes, let's. My friend Megan, shout out Megan. I love you. Thanks for being supportive. She drove me to the show in Antigonish. So like, she was my designated driver all night. We were like riffing on jokes in the car because she's like a super funny girl. Like, I love Megan to death. She's the lead singer and guitarist of Heavy Early. Listen to Heavy Early. Um, The band that she started, they're amazing. They let me play with them and I love them to death. Thank you, Kenneth and Jesse, too. Um, so yeah, we get to the show and like, I'm at the bar getting a drink and this guy comes over to me 
And you know when like someone's on mushrooms? And that's all I have to say. You know when someone's on mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. So this guy jumps over to me. And he starts asking me questions about myself. And his last question is, do you want to eat some mushrooms? And proceeds to pull out an ounce of mushrooms and a sandwich bag in the middle of this bar. And I'm like, no, man, like, I got to get on stage. Like, no, like, I appreciate your offer. Like, I'm not trying to, like, shun you. Like, if anyone's heard my sets, like, I don't know. I mean, you probably heard me talk about mushrooms for 20 minutes and then asked for, like, another hour and a half. Because I had a flashback <laughs> talking about it and was like, did I already tell this joke? And I told it three more times because I'm having acid flashbacks. But <laughs> so Buddy's trying to give me mushrooms. And I'm like, nah, man, like, that's cool. So I get back up to like, um, this bar didn't even have like a comedian area. I don't mean that in like a, I sounded so like disgusted when I said that. But like most bars, if you're performing a comedy set, there's like a table at the back that the performers sit at and they all kind of sit around and we talk to each other. And then that's how we come up with like, our intros and stuff like that. And we all kind of riff off each other and meet and it's beautiful. That's my favorite thing of comedy is just sitting back and hanging out with other people that love doing what I do because it's my favorite thing in the world. And like, well, that's why Rob and I know each other because when we first met, we were the only two people at an open mic. So I got up on stage, did a set. And when I was getting off, this guy was sitting at a table, like looking at me being like, yes, that's awesome. And then they were like, the next person up is Rob Green. And then the dude that was like, yes, got up and went on stage and killed a set. It was awesome. And I was like, shit, there's two comedians here. I need to be this guy's best friend. When we did the Dreamcatcher show, that came out of nowhere to me because that was my first time. I think that might have been my first time being booked out of my own hometown. Because after I did that set at that art festival, I went to an after party afterwards at a local bar. And the owners, again, Derek and Jenna, I love you both to death. Um, they were like, hey, you did a comedy set. Are you a comedian? And I was like, trying to be. Like, that was my first time. And they were like, holy shit, that was your first time? Like, we have comedians that we're trying to book. Like, will you come through and do, will you be the local act if they need someone? So literally two weeks after I started doing comedy, these people were sweet enough to let me be the local talent. And like, I had opportunities that like nobody, that, I shouldn't say nobody that new to comedy should get. But I was absolutely spoiled when I first started because of these guys, because they were such a good venue. They were such good people that people wanted to come. And it was just amazing that I got to experience that with them. So I did shows with people that have done Just for Laughs, people that have done like Edinburgh Arts Festival. It's absolutely amazing that I was given the experiences that I've had when I first started doing that. Like, it's absolutely insane. And I went through a rough patch after that because, well, I started doing comedy a while ago and my life has changed completely since then. Not just because of comedy, because of personal things is what I mean. I've ended like a very long-term relationship and I've recently like come out as like non-binary and pansexual. So all of these things that I've been dealing with, having comedy as like an outlet for it is amazing because not only is that an opportunity to connect with people, and talk to them and get feedback afterwards from people that I can make a connection with. But therapy is so fucking expensive, but I get paid to do comedy. So I can just tell people my problems and get paid for it instead of paying someone to listen to me. <laughs> I do got to interject and say that, um, yeah, like when I met you and we started hanging out and became friends, like you were in just a very straightforward heterosexual relationship. And then when everything changed up for you, that's when I find you really kind of leveled up in comedy because whatever was kind of, you know, holding you back from being yourself was also kind of holding you back on the stage. And well, just a lot of my stuff I was doing 
were personal stories of mine that I couldn't be like, this happened to me. So I was like, oh my goodness, a friend of mine told me about this. And like, that's not personable. But they were personal stories to me. But I couldn't do that. So once I got out of that situation, like, I was able to be like, yes, change my style. I dropped the stuff that was like, because these were stories that have happened to me and I got good laughs, but using them as, oh, this is a friend of mine. And like a good friend of mine at the time was helping me write jokes. So the whole thing was these happened to them. So, and that was the bit like, oh, my friend is keeps getting into a horrible situation. And that was like the whole thing is that I need to get better friends and I'm trying to better myself because I had that whole riff about bettering myself and stuff too, like a couple of years ago, basically that I wrote to make all this weird shit make sense. <laughs> but then once I got into that situation, I was like, oh, none of the stories I tell her, they're about me, but they're not about me. So I'm not connecting with an audience. The people that hear my stories aren't being like, oh, that's relatable. It's like, oh, you related to someone else. That's not you. I don't know if that was the actual response, but that was the way that I felt it. And then I, I shouldn't say I felt out of love with comedy, but I got really anxious about it. And I got really in my own head about it. And I stopped doing shows for about six to nine months, honestly. Like I didn't do stuff for a long time. And I still wrote, but I didn't feel what I was writing. And then once I started getting back into things, I reviewed my stuff and was like, 90% of this is garbage. But through that, I found a few little things to pick out, <laughs> like riff on and, you know, because like even manure, like there's like, I don't know, a flower or something. I don't know if that's a saying, but people talk about cow poop all the time. But. You were definitely recently more free on stage and you were easy to relate to because we weren't relating to somebody else through you by proxy. And like I said, you just leveled up there. And not only that, um, when I first started, like I said, I've come out as like pansexual and like non-binary, gender fluid. Like, I don't mean to be like whatever you want to call it, but like, as long as you're not a douche to me, I'm not going to be upset. Because like, <laughs> what's the point in being upset about people that care about me if they let something slip? I'm not saying that it's cool to misgender, mislabel people, but like, I know my family cares about me and I've been open to a lot of friends, but this is very new to a lot of people in my life. So don't feel bad if anyone's done anything. But just doing that um, gave me such a new level of freedom doing comedy where I felt like I was such a different comedian from that point forward because I had my stuff before that was like a little like dumb jokes and like one-liners that I wrote about being depressed. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, um, I've got some stuff that works. I can flush this out. I can change the context that makes it not make everyone sad. I guess. Well, thing was like, I was just, my first book of jokes was like, I don't want to say a diary, but like basically me writing down my thoughts. And as I was writing them down, I started laughing because like, <laughs> that's just the way my mind works is, I guess, dealing with things with humor. And then I started doing that. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do some stand up. And then we got to the point where I did it and people were like, that was good. Keep doing it. And I was like, all right. But then I was like, well, I'm not sad anymore. I, I was sad. Then I wrote it down. Then I wasn't sad. And then people told me it was good. And now I'm happy. Like, can I still write jokes? And then I did. And then my jokes made people happy without making them sad. And I was like, oh, shit. All right. Like, not to be like, I've got this figured out, but like, cool. <laughs> so when I first started writing comedy, it wasn't my intention to start writing comedy. I have some family members that have had some mental health issues. And they've reached out and they've seek help. And I'm very, very proud of them. And through talking to them, one of the big things was just writing down your feelings. And I started doing that. And I don't know if it's just my own way of dealing with things with a sense of humor. But when I was writing my things down, I would try to find like a positive in it. And I would like make a joke about it. And then after a short while, 
just discussing things with people, I started looking for my book and I would start laughing when I read it. And I was like, this is like the worst comedy, but like, if you're me, this is hilarious. So I was like, how do I adapt being sad to dealing with other people? And then I was like, oh wait, you don't have to do that. Everyone is sad. <laughs> like everyone's a little sad and that's where it's relatable. Again, we started out doing stuff early and you've heard my raw jokes when I first started. There was some hurt behind those jokes. <laughs> now I'm in like a good place. So it's like, yeah, this is fun. But before people would be like, oh, God damn, that's not a joke. He's sad. <laughs> there was a point uh, kind of just after we started doing shows together where we were getting paid where I was going through some stuff and I just couldn't muster up what I needed to do on stage either. So I took a little hiatus myself. It kind of coincidentally worked out that we were both doing that. I don't mean that in a positive way. Like, good thing we were both experiencing mental health issues. But, like, it was at that point because... Not to say I've ever felt pressure from you to do a show, but I never want to let anyone down for something. And at that point, I wasn't even looking into booking. So to not have someone being like, can you do this when I'm not trying to do it was helpful. As shitty as that sounds now, like we still talked during it, but this was very new into our comedy careers. And I think our relationship experience was just, this is like a guy from a couple towns over that I do shows with. And not to say I didn't consider you a friend, but as we started doing things and then we started building up that a little bit more, we did shows. And then, like you said, we would uh, riff on our bits and meet up an hour, a couple hours before the show to like review what we're doing and come up with some ideas and like meet the, I get. I guess at this point we were still the local talent, but we had localer talent, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> yeah, we, we'd always plan to meet up like, okay, let's meet up an hour beforehand. But the goal was always to get there extra early and just shoot the shit and catch up on, you know, just like as friends it. should. Yeah. And one of my favorite memories from, uh, well, it's been a minute since we have Tommy because of COVID and stuff. Was it the last show we did together that we performed with Russ? Yeah. He's like fairly new to the game, but um, he's someone that like, if you like what Rob and I are doing, you might like what he's doing. He's got the kind of style that he laughs at his own jokes, but not in like a bad way. I don't know how to describe it other than he's absolutely adorable when he's on stage. When he came in, like we were in context. We performed in a venue, again, shout out Tim, and the downstairs of this venue that we perform comedy shows in is a Chinese restaurant. So Rob and I decided that we're going to get food before the show. We go into the Chinese food place and we order like a lot of Chinese food. Well, I did anyway. And Rob just ordered beer, which is good. I did too, but the door opens up. And to me, this is my perspective. A strange man who stands about five foot seven, five eight. Yeah, we'll, we'll give him five eight. So he comes in, he's got a big beard. He's got a bright orange, like a lumberjack stocking cap on. And Rob waves to him because Rob booked this show. So Rob knows who this man is. At this point, I don't. And as I said, Anyone that's listening that knows me knows that I'm very stoned all the time. So you feel me. And I just assumed Rob was being polite because this man might have been trying to go to a comedy show. And then he came over and introduced himself. And that's when I realized this was the man that I've been talking to on Facebook for the last like three weeks. <laughs> but since I'm stoned, I never looked at his profile. <laughs> that night when he got there, we were sitting down. Like we just to put this in perspective, the show we did before we just ate shit at I'm sorry. What show was that at? The one before? That would have been the uh, the fundraiser no, for the ball field. That was the only establishment I've ever been to that underneath beer, whiskey, 
vodka on the menu was boiled eggs. And you could buy a boiled egg for $2. And that was under beer, whiskey, vodka. <laughs> but yeah, that, that one was a rough one. That's a way to describe it. Yeah. And then, no, wait, yeah, that wasn't the one just before that. There was a, one or two after that, but we were just coming off a string where we, we, we had a guy with us that, yeah, like we had a few rough shows with him. Yeah. Um, I really respect you for saying that we had a few rough shows with him. That's the way to put it that I don't want to say I wouldn't have been as nice to say. You saying that makes me not have to say mean things, but anyone listening to this can hear how much I'm conflicted by that. So yeah. hint, hint. But in my head, like, you know me, I'm, I hate my set after I do it. Like, I'm usually really critical of it. So when I'm actually having a rough night, like, it eats at me. And I just, I was like, man, we got to have a good set tonight. We've got to have a good show tonight. If it makes you feel any better, Rob, most of your sets when you're down, I hate them too. (laughs) Good. I I don't feel so alone now. Well, in fairness, we've said deplorable things to each other after sets. By being like, well, you're the reason that no one's ever paid me money. Well, you said that to me, but (laughs) I'm joking, of course. We have a great dynamic. But yeah, like it was just Russ came in and he sat down with us and we just started talking. Like within five minutes, I had a feeling like tonight's going to be a real good one, guys. Rob and I were like uh, teenage girls. I literally texted Rob while we're sitting at the table with this guy. And I was like, let's book more shows with this guy before he even did his first set. Like as soon as he walked in, like, we shot the shit and the stuff he was saying. I was like, you are like a fucking character. Like, I like you already. As long as you don't say something that's deplorable, like, we're going to be friends. And he went up and he killed it. And after the set, I asked him, like, how long he's been doing it. And, like, not long. And he's been, like, sporadically booked. So, like, dude doesn't have, like, I don't want to say he doesn't have experience because he does. But he doesn't have, like, consistent booking. So for someone to come up, it's like, I haven't done a show in four months. And do that with a room full of strangers, especially the other comedians that are strangers that he just met. If you see Russ, you'll recognize him. He's got an orange beard that's orangeness is only eclipsed by the orangeness of his hat. That's the most accurate description of anyone I've ever heard. It sounded vague, but if you ever met this man. That, that'll make sense to you. Happy belated Father's Day, Russ. You love your kids. Happy, <laughs> happy belated Father's Day, dude. Mm-hmm. Did I say that to you already? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, with uh, with Russ, like that was like that was the night that I was a little bit like too liquored up and stuff. But we still did good. I mean, time before we had such a rough night because our opener just sucked the energy out of the room. I just that's how- a big thing though, is especially being like an up and coming comedian. I don't even know if that's an appropriate thing to call us people that make people upset in like uh, empty rooms and bars. That's a big thing though, is trying to win the room back from someone, especially if you're not like a well-known comedian, because if someone bombs and then they introduce the next person and they also don't know who the fuck they are, it's also like, well, they could just be just as worse. And that is a weird thing for a new comedian to try to win back a room. Yeah, getting a room back is really hard. I think one of the best examples I've ever heard of getting a room back was actually you um, <laughs> getting it back from the person that we mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so that being said, the best thing I've ever seen, not even just because of the Father's Day episode, is what I'm going to call it because I love my dad. Shout out Kevin Johnson. That's my name, dude. Love you. So Rob, um, his daughter told him a joke. So Rob gets up on stage and he busts out his cell phone. And he goes, hey, guys, my daughter just told me a joke. How old was your daughter when she told you this? 
girl. Uh, she would have been seven or eight, I think, at the time. So already she's funnier than Rob at seven or eight. She this really is. is. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob. I love you. I'm not sorry. So she's, she's, she's amazing. Absolutely. Uh, so Rob gets up on stage and Rob pitches the joke to the crowd and he records it because he wants to show his daughter how good her joke was. And I'm going to leave you with you telling the joke now, Rob. It was, uh, what did the ocean say to the mermaid? What's that? Nothing. It just waved. And like the whole bar whooped and hollered and screamed and clapped. There was like an overwhelming round of applause. And yeah, Rob got this video for his daughter. To this day, I think that's one of the cutest things I've ever seen in my life. And that's why you should listen to Rob's podcast. Oh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna ruin my street cred. I don't give a shit about your family, Rob. Clap. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Edit that out. Yeah, maybe. We'll see how funny it is. Keep that in. But, <laughs> but yeah, we um, that guy, we actually met him doing the show. We started talking about with the mushrooms. And Kevin, how do you describe this show? It's the time you opened for a guy who was high on drugs pretending he was an owl? Well, the way I describe it was we went to this show. We got booked. We got paid handsomely. Like, I'm not going to lie. As far as, like, what we did, I didn't have to pay for drinks. I should specify, when I say we got paid handsomely, I didn't owe money to the bar. <laughs> and that's what I mean. And if anyone's listening to this and being like, wow, being a local comedian is lucrative, no, I just didn't owe money to the bar. It's just not. <laughs> so we get to this bar. Everything seems kind of fine. I'm at the bar trying to buy a drink. Buddy offers me mushrooms. I get up on stage and as I get out, like for the last few days, I was trying to figure out like what I want to open up with. And I was like, I'm going to go with the crowd. But before I got up there, I found out the crowd was entirely high on mushrooms. I was like, I've interacted with people on mushrooms before, but they've been my friends. And I was like, you should go to bed. Like you're too high. But now it was just like, I already have your money. I think I have to tell you jokes. Stop giving the rest of the bar mushrooms. You're making this terrifying. So with that being said, I get up on stage. And like I mentioned earlier, Rob's cleanup batter or designated hitter, whatever the fuck. I don't know. I don't even know if you made a baseball reference about that before, but I feel like you're the kind of guy that might. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing shade. But yeah. so I get up on stage and as I start to tell jokes, I'm doing my thing. I'm like, I love it. I'm having fun. And, like, as I'm doing it, I notice people are laughing, but, like, not at the right time. Like, I'm setting up a punchline, and people are laughing throughout it. And then when I hit, hit the punchline, people are weird and quiet, and they're looking around the room like there's a fucking strobe light going up. And that's when I realized this guy gave everybody in the room mushrooms earlier. To be fair, I think yeah. it was only, like, half of the people, I think, were on mushrooms. I think the other half were genuinely amused. If they only knew what was coming after your set... That was my biggest upset was I opened for an open mic of people that were on a ton of mushrooms. And like, looking back, that's a funny story. I, people have paid me since to tell that joke. But like, at the time I was like, God damn, I don't think I'm ever going to get booked again. <laughs> well, we had someone else was supposed to show up, but they didn't for some reason. They canceled. So the guy that was running it had this idea that we would do an open mic session in between our sets to split it up. Don't forget in between his idea for that, he also had the idea that he was going to tell jokes for the first time ever. Because without telling anyone, he booked two comedians and thought he could impress them. Little did he know, 
we are terrible comedians and we have no clue. <laughs> this is true. So he tell he tells a few jokes and they like he wasn't the worst there. Like that was probably the best I've heard him joke, so that's one thing. First time he's ever made a joke in public was the best thing you've ever said. Which is bold considering we've done two shows with him since. Yeah, he says wasn't bad. He wasn't racist or homophobic or talking about sleeping with underage girls yet. No, that's true. But then he did. He made a joke about sleeping with underage girls in front of his wife. And that led to a confrontation in the parking lot that night. Did it? I missed that part. He was confronted. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Had I been outside. (laughs) I'm not aggressive, but like, I would have been like, dude, uh, you need to leave and never tell jokes again. That was fucking bad, right? That was pretty bad. That was pretty fucking bad. uh, I got messages about that for like weeks afterwards. The, the messages range from, hey, that guy told a lot of really inappropriate jokes to... You straight up being like that man advocated, like, pedophilia, right? <laughs> I got them too. Yeah, it was... I think he was going for shock humor, but there's I don't think he handled different. it well. No, there's such a difference. And I think that's funny because when we did that thing with um, Russ and Russ's thing, it, he mentioned something about having young daughters hmm. and you and I made fucking direct eye contact across the room. And then he elaborated and it wasn't as scary, but I was still just like, oh. Yeah, but I digress. This guy decided to do an open mic in between and have us judge in the winner would get a bar tab. And he went up and kind of softened up the crowd a little bit for them. Uh, the next guy went up and was just straight up racist. That man was racist. Yeah. So he started and he immediately was pulled off of the stage and kicked out of the venue. Yeah. The second lady went up and I'm sure she had something funny to say, but it was so funny that she couldn't stop laughing enough to make it understandable. And it was just like (laughs) trying to get through the words. So she didn't win. And then there was the owl man. So the owl man is the man that we both mentioned earlier that was giving away the mushroom. So he naturally was on the most mushroom. Owl man grabs like one of those little bar stool tables with like the one leg in the middle, gets water in the bottom, and he puts it on the stage. And then he asks someone if he can borrow their sweater. And the guy gives him this sweater. He puts the sweater on, and on mushrooms, he climbs up on this table, and it takes him forever to get up on this table. Like, I could have gone up one side of Everest and down the other side by the time this guy was able to stand on this table. And he... I took a piss and had it smoke before he was even done. Yeah, he did. Like, so why he, he's not happening? And I was like, I'm leaving. So I took a piss and had a smoke. And when I came back in, he was still trying to get on the table. <laughs> and when he gets up, he squats down and he pulls the sweater over his knees. Like, he's still standing, but he's squatting. And he starts saying, "Who, who? I'm a female owl. And he points to his knees under the sweater. These are my boobs. And it was at that point we pulled the plug in the open mic. I don't want to say I was mad about that show because that makes it seem like I was like upset. I just couldn't understand what was happening. It was just the weirdest show ever. We were just hanging out in like the little back area, but everyone else was fucked up on mushrooms. And at one point someone was like writhing around on the floor. And people tried to pick them up. Yeah. And they were like, are you okay? And they were like, I'm dancing. And everyone was like, nope. Nope. <laughs> Not dance moves. I've never seen that dance move before. You either just made that up right now and are trying to like patent it, or you fucked up really bad and are trying to cover it. I would go for the latter on that one. I would certainly say so. Do you remember how I ended my set that night? Not in any great detail. Throughout my set. 
Because like we were supposed to have people with us and they fucked off. So we had to cover way more time. So we do this set and like halfway through, like no one's listening to me on stage. And like, I'm used to people not really caring about what I say, but like I have a microphone. So I'm like, at least pretend. Hmm. But everyone's just confused because people are at the bar and they're arguing because everyone's on mushrooms and no one knows what's happening. So I can remember at least three points throughout my set where I was like, hey, Rob, can I stop now? And you were like, no, you have a half an hour left. And then I was like, can I stop now? And you were like, no, you have 15 minutes left. And I was like, can I stop? And you were like, dude, just like close out with a good vibe. And I was just like, I don't want to do a good vibe to close. Like, I just want to get the fuck off the stage. Everyone's on mushrooms. This is the worst. So I got off the stage and that is when that open mic started which goes to show how fucking bad that show was going. So I opened for a racist dude, Owl Titman. Well, they closed down, what, the next day? The day, the day after? A- the day after. We were Friday. The doors were closed Sunday. So our show was booked when the last show was booked. And instead of booking more, they were like, nope. I don't blame them. I would have. I wouldn't even book us. You're <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Book us. Anyone listening, book Rob and I. We're very good at jokes. We'll come to your hometown. We won't be mean. We're past the point of apology letters. Right, Rob? No, no. You, uh, Kevin will grab the poster promoting our show off the wall of the venue and write an apology letter on it. Yeah, that's very fair to say. Well, in your defense, and by that I mean my defense, I don't care if you're offended by my joke. Well, I guess I do if I'm on this, but FYI, if you come to my show and you don't like anything I say, I already have your money, so... We were at a food venue one time and there was a family there with their daughter eating when Kevin went up. Like they were still eating before the adult themed entertainment came on and they ended up leaving in a huff. So Kevin grabs the poster that was on the wall for us. He wrote this apology letter to them and he gave it to the owner of the venue to give to this family next time they came in because they're regulars. That's an awfully personal story you told about me, Ryan. I wanted to tell that story. That happened, yeah. Rob and I did a comedy show and it was one of my first out of town shows. And I got excited, like anyone that's heard me say stuff before. I was like, I'm not even gonna like censor myself. I'm going to a new place. If they don't like me, I don't have to go there anymore. Cool. I'm not really saying how fucking dumb that idea is. So when I'm done, I had the owners come over and they're the sweetest people in the world. Roseanne and Mike. Mike and Roseanne. Yeah, Roseanne and Mike. They made me wonton nachos after the show we did, free drinks. They were the sweetest people in the world. But they mentioned that I had offended their number one customers. And I felt terrible because I guess these people have been supporting their business for years. So what I did, as Rob said, I grabbed a poster off the wall and I wrote a written apology to these people. You did. It was really sweet and it was genuine. It was heartfelt. Moving on to more important things. You know, I've got a few segments for this show, right? What segment do you mean? Kevin, in life, we are told there are no stupid questions and I'm about to ask you five. Are you ready? You're going to ask me five stupid questions? I'm going to ask you five stupid questions. That's cool. So in life, there's only five stupid questions. No, but there's just five for you right now. Fair enough. I've probably got five stupid answers. Let's see what you got. All right. What flavor water enhancer do you think a horse would like best? Watermelon. Because regardless of horses, watermelon flavored anything is the best. Yeah. I can't disagree with that. Yeah. Fight me. Don't at me. Fight me. Come to my house. I'll punch you in the bird <laughs> question two what kitchen appliance should they make standard in cars waffle makers a lot of places sell fried chicken but not waffle 
So if you have a waffle maker in your car, you have chicken and waffles on the go. And that is mint. If anyone's tried mint chicken and waffles, let me know. Okay, listeners, that is your next quest. Let us know how mint chicken waffles taste. Third question. What would you name the disorder that gives the Grinch all his green hair? I feel like you want a better joke, but I would just say Grinchitis, just because it sounds good. Well, that's (laughs) like my Grinch answer. If you actually want, I I would say that like, uh, he probably has like a liver disorder. And instead of like jaundice, it makes him green. That's what I think. I don't know, man. Like, it might be scurvy. Fourth question. What animal doesn't have spots, but really should? Like every bird. (laughs) Wait, no. No. His birds aren't real. I'm going to say dog. Dogs are Dalmatians. Oh, shut up. Not everyone, though. What was your question? What dog should or all dogs? What animal doesn't have spots, but should? Dogs is reasonable. Not all dogs have spots. So you're saying you want all dogs to be Dalmatians? Well, all dogs go to heaven. What's the first three things you think of when I say heaven? Dogs, 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 right? (laughs) Shall we move on to question five? What's something you wouldn't eat unless someone paid you? And how much would I have to pay you? It probably wouldn't be a bunch of money. I don't really like sushi, but I think it would be cool to eat like um, calamari or like squid or whatever, but the kind that's like still moving. So it like, it apparently it sticks to like your tongue and your throat and tries to like crawl around in your mouth. Like that sounds like the worst, but I think that would be funny. That sounds goddamn awful. It does, but like. But you want to do it. <laughs> nah, I'd still do it. I don't like seafood, but I think it would be funny. So I don't have to pay you for that one. So you just well, if, as long as you bought it. Do you want a new um, new segment on your podcast? Just me eating weird things that you bought. I'll do it. <laughs> I will start a GoFundMe page right now to fund buying you weird shit and probably having to get half of it shipped in somehow. Let's do it. Let's start one. Let's actually do that. Uh, Everyone that listens to Rob, if you can donate one dollar, we can probably buy really poor quality octopus. And that would probably be funnier. I've, if you can do more money, I would appreciate that too, because I probably won't get diarrhea. I've never had a five stupid question segment lend itself to a GoFundMe page. So this could be a lucrative endeavor in the future, I must say. This is the benefits that you get from having me on your podcast. And by that, I mean everyone listening that has their own podcast or is thinking of having a podcast. What better person to have on it than me? Have you heard the great things I've said? I've said the kind of things that people would pay you to listen to. Probably. Don't ask them. Just pay me first. And then we'll go from there. So you're writing new material right now during COVID? I think I'm doing my best to. But I find a lot of the stuff I've been writing during COVID is really specific to me. So it's like, you know how when you're trying to do a podcast and your cat keeps rubbing up against you, but your apartment is like 40 fucking degrees? (laughs) and there's just like a fuzzy ball of fire rubbing against you and you want to get mad but when you look at the fuzzy ball of fire it has the sweetest face in the world and I'm like oh I'm not even mad anymore like mm," and I hug them and then I'm way warmer is that relatable is that a thing people deal with I have a cat named Rick and I have a cat named Babu they're both very very sweet dudes every now and then while I'm filming this the cat will come in the room here Opal's her name uh I introduced her, I think, episode two or whatnot. I saw the episode with the cat. Yeah. I was going to message you and be like, your cat is the best. Yeah. She just stares at me like, what the fuck are you doing? You hack piece of shit. You can come up with something better than what you're saying right now. 
I'm just like, fuck you, cat. I'd like to see you do better. You're just going to make meows. They all sound the same. So not only do people not speak cat, I'm pretty sure that cats don't even really speak cat. So no one's going to subscribe. Um, apparently, I don't know this for real, but I read this on the internet. So it has to be true. So apparently cats make like meow noises because it sounds like a human baby crying. And they're trying to get your attention. And like, I don't even think that's true because I don't think my cats are trying to be babies. I think they're just trying to be like huge douchebags. <laughs> I'm going to try to get a recording because I'm pretty sure my cat says hello. Do it. Yeah, I'm going to, that's going to be my mission for the next time I'm off work for any ex- extended period of time is just chase my cat with a recorder, trying to get it to say what sounds like hello. What you should do is use your cat's voice saying hello and dub it up with every rap, like a clip of like rap songs that have the word hello in them. <laughs> I was actually thinking about putting it to Yo, Adele. Ooh, your cat saying hello and then cutting to Adele saying from the other side. Yeah. Fuck, that is good. You will, I'm, I'm saying this now, Rob, you will become internet. If you don't, everyone that listens to this podcast failed you. You hear that, guys? Hey, mom, you failed Rob if you didn't support rob's adele thing does your mom listen to me can i tell you a fun story about this rob yeah my mom asks me about doing shows with you the way my mom asks me about um giving her grandkids (laughs) 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 and stuff like that and i thought it was funny at first but then i was like this is like a weird juxtaposition like rob and i like at first it was like oh you met someone at open mic and you're doing shows and she came and she thought it was great. And then like you and I've been doing stuff for years and like my parents, like I'm so, so, so fortunate that my parents have been extremely supportive of my comedy career and my music career, anything like that. Um, I couldn't ask for better people to be more supportive about anything I've ever done. I could literally like uh, go to my parents' yard and throw up in a Sobeys bag and drop it off in their step. And they would just be like, oh, my God, do you see this artistic integrity? Like, wow, we get it. Oh, yeah, no, I just had to bail it because my friend didn't want me to throw up in their car. But, like, <laughs> so they're those kind of people that are overwhelmingly supportive. So, like, they're the nicest people. Um, everything I've ever done. When I was a kid, I can remember being, like, 10 years old. My dad painting my nails, sitting at my kitchen table. And my dad's friends being like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm painting my son's nails. Fuck you. (laughs) Literally the sweetest person ever. Like, how many shows have we done, Rob, that my parents have been at? More than not, right? I could probably count how many they haven't come to. Like, I don't know the number of how many they've shown up at. Well, it's kind of funny, too, because like we mentioned earlier in the set, like, me coming out was a process, and I've been doing comedy before that. Honestly, that's probably how I came out to my parents was during a comedy set. Before I came out to my parents, I came up to a room full of people at the Legion in the Inniganish Legion basement. And the way I came out was, hey, I made a few jokes about like being like bisexual earlier or whatever. Um, if I offended anyone, I apologize. And by that, I mean, I don't really. But if anyone's intrigued, you can buy me a drink at the bar. <laughs> I remember that because I remember thinking like, whoa, he's, he's really doubling down on this. Well, yeah. And like... You said, like, um, you, you could tell, like, a change in my style. That definitely completely 100% was dependent on the change in my life. So it worked into what I was doing. Not to say it made me more vulnerable, but it made me more real. Just to see you just go up, and like I said, like, you just leveled up. You were just you. You were open. 
you weren't like like yeah maybe vulnerable is the word like you just laid it out there but you were just open and you, you were connected with people and that was it because uh, we both mentioned earlier that we took time off and like we took I think equal time off because in fairness I don't know who else to ask to do shows with me <laughs> you know what I mean like you're my dude for shows and like I don't mean that and like a, oh I don't have anyone else I just mean like we've been doing this since the beginning I don't want to do shows without you because we've got a great rapport we can rock a room and our banter back and forth we've been doing this for so long that like we're doing callback joke about each other in our monologues introducing each other that the crowd doesn't even get and like it's not stuff they don't laugh about and like it's a good joke but like to us it's like oh shit that's a riff on me like four years ago and like that just speaks to how long we've been doing this and it's so much fun because as writing partners go and stuff we've riffed on each other's stuff for so long that like it just makes me so happy when we can do a show together because it doesn't happen as much as I'd like but when we do it's like like we said earlier we get together like a while before the show like we get food, we have a drink or whatever. And like, we just go off and we plan like our night. And that's my favorite part of doing comedy, the behind the scenes stuff. And I don't mean that to say I don't love the onstage part because that's what made me fall in love with it. But I experienced that before I experienced the backstage stuff where you meet comedians, talk to them. Y'all just like pump each other's tires and have fun. It's amazing. I've played in bands and stuff like that. And I'm not throwing shade at anybody, but like when you play in, music and stuff i'm not saying like comedy's not cutthroat or anything but like local bands still have that weird kind of like we're better than you thing but with comedy it's just like oh man you're a comedian let's do shows we can be friends and i'm not saying that like the music scene doesn't have that but you have that but then there's the people that's like we should go ahead of you because we're better but when you and i do shows it's like we're in your town you go on we're in my town i'll go on we're in buddy's town he'll go on like last you know what i mean like i have no problem going on like opening for you like that's something that i'm not protective about any spots on it like where we're doing it like we're just both doing shows like that's what we do and it's cool like we get to alternate that sometimes because if you go on first it's not even that i can throw back to like just something that we know like i can make a joke about your set and that's it and that was one of my favorite things when we started hanging out and doing shows together we did our stuff and we riffed like talking before shows but we live like an hour apart so it's hard to link up and write together if you're not like setting aside specific time to write so when we started booking together and stuff like that and it's like you said earlier I was like hey man you're really coming into your style and you were like okay and we just riffed for the rest of the night and like a couple days later you messaged me and were like I totally get what you mean I cut out a bunch of jokes like I think this is what I want to do and I was like yeah like that's what I mean man I, I don't mean to say that you had stuff that didn't work again we were very fortunate to get the breaks we got when we started because like when I hear about comedians that have done stuff for like 10 plus years before they got a break I literally I did in comedy for three to four months before I was asked to perform with people that I've done just for laughs in the Edinburgh Comedy Festival and I was like this doesn't happen I'm gonna fuck this up and to this day it's one of the best shows I've ever done they told me I should be a comedian and a few other things came to be from that but like I'm in a place now where I'm like back at it and I'm writing things and I'm happy and before the stuff that I wrote was from not that great of a place but it was good and it's relatable but now that I'm in a better place I feel like that's more relatable because not to discredit anyone going through things but like if you can help someone get through that because that's what my thing is I've been in that bad place, but now I'm out of it 
So if I can make the joke about the bad place and then be like, here's a joke about how I'm good now, people can relate to that. Again, this is a small platform that we're on, but if I can help anyone just feel a little better about themselves, I don't know, that's all I want to do. Because like I said, when I first started, I was not true to who I am, what I was doing, what I thought of, and it wasn't genuine. And then when I started being genuine, it changed things for me. And not even in just a comedian way, like my mindset changed. My stuff wasn't about being depressed. My stuff was about being like liberated and happy. Thousand percent better response, am I right? Oh yeah, well, it's something that people want to do. Everybody wants to feel that freedom and that self-acceptance. You know, like we're all looking for in life and even when we're down on ourselves, like we want to feel better. And what you did when you, like I said, when you kind of flipped that switch, you got up and you were talking about how you got there. But you were, the jokes were all of the follies and all of the blunders and everything that we do in life that's just ridiculous that got you to that point. And I think that's where the humor is. And that's what helps. Because, yeah, like I said, like there was a time when I was going through a little bit of a rough time in my personal life. And we took the time off at the same time. But yes, we got... I think, yeah, I think actually you reached out to me first because I was starting to, you know, kind of like, I wouldn't mind doing this again at some point. And around the time I was feeling that, I think it was you reached out to me to go up and see you and maybe we could get something going. And we, like, we were both better coming out the other side of that for sure. But I think there was that bit of we fed off each other too. Like, oh yeah, he's doing good. Like he's going on about this. I can relate to that. Not necessarily we went through the same things or went through the same routes to get there. But we also kind of like took inspiration from the other guy to now that we're pretty well on the other side of that, let's just give a really heavy push forward. And I like that. Personal growth. Like you said, we went through very similar things, but very different things. I think we both said earlier, we deal with things of humor. So when you're dealing with these issues, if you have someone in your life that also does that, I dealt with some very, very bad things when we were first getting to know each other. Honestly, I probably let you know these things before I should have, as far as someone that you're just not going to be like, I want to get away from you. But Mm -hmm. like, again, thank you, Rob, for being like, oh shit, like you're not weird. You're just dealing with stuff. So, and then you opened up to me and then it was kind of like, wow, like we're these two people that are writing these jokes and doing these things that are based on things. And not like with comedy, you always kind of like over yuck something a bit. You know what I mean? You kind of play it up. But I felt with what you were doing and what I was doing was very honest. And the first time I saw you do stand-up, I'm not going to lie. I was just like, I I disagree with like 30% of what this dude says. But like, he was honest the whole time. And I'm not trying to justify like any, I disagree, but he's honest. Because that's what people say about Donald Trump. And I'm not trying to say that about you. (laughs) But like, once I actually talked to you after the set, I was like, this guy is like a really genuine person that's speaking from his heart. This is really cool. This is my first open mic. I'm going to like get in touch with this guy. Yeah. I remember like I had some friends that went with me and one of my friends was like, Oh man, that guy's another comedian. Like, I don't know. Like, do you think you're going to try to do better than him? Or do you think you can do better than him? Or how do you think that's going to go? Like almost like we should have been adversarial, but I was like, no, like this guy's up there. Like your puppet bit was fucking hilarious. Like I was laughing. I was like, it was the first open mic I've ever gone to that we met at. And was it your first open mic too? Yeah, and I was just hard trying to find open mic because I really wanted to take a go at this because... You live an hour drive away. Not only that, you live an hour drive away on the most dangerous highway in fucking Canada. (laughs) (laughs) 
you risk a life and limb to be like, you want to hear a dick joke? <laughs> Speaking of dicks, we have a segment left. Which celebrity would you like to talk some smack about? This is going to be, I don't want to say controversial, because I feel like it's a lot of people's opinion, but it's a very bad person. But I'm going to say R. Kelly is the hugest fucking douchebag in the music industry now. And anyone defending him is a huge piece of shit. Wow. Fuck R. Kelly. He is a horrible person. Anybody that is trying to defend him after this point and everything that's come out about him, reevaluate yourself and think about why you're defending a predator. There's probably only one conclusion from there. And once you reach that conclusion, also go fuck yourself, much like R. Kelly should. Fair enough. Strong feelings from Kelly. Well, I could Johnson. go in a bit more, but I don't want to get you demonetized. As if, yeah. Imagine, imagine. So, is there anything you want to plug before you go? Any shout-outs if you want? Oh, my goodness. You're putting me on the spot, I say, as I hold out a list of things I wrote down earlier. Uh, Father's Day was the other day. I want to give my dad a shout-out, Kevin Johnson. Uh, my mom for being an amazing woman, Bonnie Johnson. Um, people in my family that have been super supportive uh, throughout my dad's illness. It's been really, really amazing to see. I thank everyone for that. Um, friends of mine that do music, Rob, for having me on this podcast. Um, thank you for doing comedy with me. Bomb Solid, who we're going to feature a little bit. Cathartics, Heavy Early, that's like uh, my best friends that let me play in their band. I have so many more things to say, but I'm just, I'm just really thankful that you let me on. So I really yeah. appreciate that, dude. I really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, you are my first comedy friend, so... I couldn't have this podcast without ever having you on. I mean, I appreciate that, man. All right, Kevin, I guess the only thing left to ask of you, as I ask of all my guests, would you cue the outro music? Do you mean my outro music? You want outro music too? Well, I got intro music. It's only fair if we get outro music. All right, let's hear your outro music. Do you get outro music? I always have outro music. It's my show. Well, it's mine now. Did you just try to do my music with your mouth? What do you mean your music? Did you did you try to do the show's music with your mouth? No. Why would you say that? I didn't say Rob a bunch. No, I'm pretty sure you just you just said Rob a bunch of times and made music with your mouth. Like who hears Rob in that? Dude, my fucking cat can hear Rob in that. Well, cats are good, so shut up. God damn it, just cue my outro music. Hit it and quit it. There you go. Good night, Rob. Yeah.